0: I love Bible class, and I have always loved Bible class, and I owe a great deal of gratitude to all the Bible class teachers that I had the privilege of sitting at the feet at. Men and women in those younger days that spent hours in their Bible so they might help me to understand God, His Word, that I might get closer to my Heavenly Father. Bible class is is important to the local congregation. As a show of hands, how many of the the men in here serve as elders? Quite a few. And I'm sure that those that haven't raised their hands are probably looking forward to that day in which they might achieve that role of elder and are building for that. Bible classes, great Bible classes, which is what we're talking about today, they don't begin with the teacher. Bible classes begin with the eldership and we need elders who love bible class we need elders who are concerned about the spiritual maturity of their congregation bible class will not help a christian who doesn't attend bible class and so what an eldership can do quite often is get at the pulpit. If you have the announcements, elders, uh, make sure you say something occasionally about how important it is to attend. We have those members. Every congregation has those members of Sunday morning only individuals. You won't see them at Bible class, certainly not Sunday night and Wednesday nights out of the question. And so on Sunday morning during the worship hour, take the opportunity to give encouragement, to build them up and Talk up the Bible class. We talk about things that are important to us. Do you have a vacation coming up? If I were to ask you questions about it, you'd probably tell me every detail about it because you enjoy talking about things that you like. Parents enjoy talking about their kids. Grandparents, you get your phones out, granddads, and you could probably show me all of your grandkids and tell me all the facts and all their baseball stats that you know about them. Because we care about the things, or whether we talk about the things that we care about, God cares about the church. God loves the church. One of the reasons why we know he loves the church is because centuries before it even was established, he had his prophets talking about it and how magnificent it was. Elders, talk up Bible class. Get in the pulpit and say, "Uh, brethren, I know that some of you don't attend Bible class, but we sure wish and encourage you to. You're missing out on a wonderful opportunity. And Do that often. But moreover, get personal with it, elders. Go to them individually, and you know the ones. If you're the type of elder that you need to be, you know the ones that aren't there for Bible class. And you go to them and you say, brother or sister, We sure have been missing you at 9.30 on Sunday mornings. And we're about to start a study of the book of Matthew. And I believe you would enjoy it. I believe it would be great for you and your spiritual growth. Why don't you come and be there to edify those brethren. Something else we need if we're going to have great Bible classes is we need more teachers. One of my responsibilities in Atlanta is I'm I'm in charge of lining up teachers for the next quarter. And frankly, it is the most uncomfortable. It's the worst job I've ever had. It is awful because sometimes it is like pulling teeth to get my brethren to teach a Bible class, and that's not how it should be. Hebrews chapter 5, turn there in your Bibles, please. Hebrews chapter 5, we see one, I believe, one of the strongest rebukes that the Apostle Paul brings on Christians who are unwilling, who are unable, because they're unwilling, to be teachers. Verse 12 there, popular passage, all we all know, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God now i believe i say paul I, I believe it's paul there but listen here's the thing the writer of the book of hebrews is he's saying look the holy spirit's not ambiguous here not even the least bit he wants christians to be teachers so how can we have the best bible classes possible number 1 if you're following on your outline you'll see that prepare yourself A good Bible class teacher is a prepared Bible class teacher. And by that I mean he has studied the good book. He has picked that book of the Bible in which he wants to teach Christians and he knows it well. A half-hearted attempt at Bible class teaching is detrimental to a congregation. It is harmful to to the souls that we are teaching. We cannot be lazy Bible class teachers. James would write this in James chapter 3 and verse 1. I'm just going to go uh, without the uh, PowerPoint for here right now. James chapter 3 and verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. He tells us one of the reasons is the stricter judgment that we will receive. Now, if we look at what we just read in Hebrews chapter 5, and we see... God commanding us to be teachers, or frankly, Mark chapter 15 or 16, verses 15 and 16, the Great Commission, where we see there we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation, to every creature. And we take those passages, and then we look at James chapter 3 and verse 1, and we think, what's going on here? It seems like a contradiction. It's not. What James here is simply trying to do, or rather the Holy Spirit through James, is show the weight of, that we as teachers have upon us. Brother Guyon Woods, in his commentary on this book, explained it this way. The influence which teachers exercise upon their pupils is often immeasurable, and the impressions which they make on the impressionable minds of their students, either for good or ill, are far-fetching in nature. Brothers, we've got to be concerned about the influence that we have as Bible class teachers. This can make or break a congregation. If we're not willing to put the time in, if we are lazy teachers, we've all been in those situations where we've sat at the feet of individuals that After the Bible class, we thought, well, that was wonderful. That was great. I'm closer to God. I know more about his word. I understand more about his word. And then there's those times where we think this fellow just rolled out of bed. I don't think he thought anything of it before he got in the pulpit and began teaching this Bible class. We can't be that type of Bible class teacher. And when we are willing to put in the work, there's going to be great benefits, Benefit number one is going to be you. You're going to benefit. You're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would often tell people that signing up to teach a Bible class is a wonderful way to grow. And I still believe that. I I really do. You challenge yourself. You get out of your comfort zone. But I also think this. We need to make sure that we're not going to the Word because of the pulpit, but we go to the pulpit because of the Word. Let it lead you to the pulpit. Fall in love with God's Word and then let that lead you to a place where you say, I've got to teach this to someone. I want to help someone understand God's Word. In your preparation, let me say this for just a few moments, and that is how important in our study of the book whatever we're studying, that we are able to understand the difference between doctrine, opinion, and error. It's not opinion class. There are going to be times in which you will have to say, look, this is my opinion on a matter, but let that be few and far between. Doctrine is, of course, set in stone. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever. He stays the same. And if he stays the same, his doctrine stays the same. Verse 9, in fact, informs us, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. Opinions exist when no doctrine on the matter is told in God's word. And again, let it be few and far between. Error is oftentimes thought of as opinion but if my so-called opinion contradicts the doctrine of jesus christ it's not an opinion it's an error i'll give you an example of that matthew chapter 25 and verse 26 how long is hell and say it how long how long will hell last you can go ahead and it's all right how long eternity i heard it eternity What if I say, well, you know, in my Bible class, my opinion is that hell is annihilation. We're just going to disappear. That then takes it from the realm of opinion. It's not anymore. It never really was, but it's error. Or what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Lay not up for yourselves treasures here on this earth. Why? Moth and rust corrupt. Thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There we see our Savior designating two different destinations, that there is, there is earth and there is heaven. If I try to mix them, that's not opinion. If I try to say the one and the same thing, it's error. We've got to, in our preparation, know the difference between doctrine, opinion, and error. We've got to teach like we study, though. And really, this is the heart of this lesson. If we truly want to have the best Bible class, teach like you study. What I mean by that is this. When we study the Bible, say we at the book of Genesis, where do we begin? Generally with Genesis 1, verse 1, right? If we're studying the book of Matthew, where do we begin? We begin in Matthew 1 and verse 1. And what we have is a linear progression in our study. We go to verse 2, then verse 3, and then verse 4. I suggest highly suggest that in our Bible class programs, in our curriculum, that we practice expository teaching. We get right into the text, and the benefits that we receive from expository teaching are great. Here they are, and this list certainly is not exhaustive. Benefit number one, when we go verse by verse, we truly want great Bible classes. What it does, first and foremost, is it gives attention to doctrine. Now, there is a time and place, I think, in, in class sometimes, and even in the pulpit, for textual and topical lessons. I would be a hypocrite if I said we should not never preach those because I preach those quite often. If we really want to teach a congregation, if we really want to get them in the Word, we've got to focus on expository. It gets us right there in the doctrine. One might say, well, topical gets us into the doctrine. Sure. I don't think as much as expository. I want you to think about it for a moment. You're studying Matthew chapter 19. You're right there in the text doing a a study of the book of Matthew. You come upon marriage and divorce right there. And you're able to teach it what the Lord teaches on the matter. You're going through the book of Proverbs and you come to chapter 7 and you see there the foolish man that gets caught up in the web of that wicked woman and you're teaching on fornication. You come to chapter 20 of the book of Proverbs... Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Boom, you're talking about social drinking and how we as Christians must stay away from it. If we are truly doing expository teaching, it's going to give attention to the doctrine. You want a study of miracles? Study 1 Corinthians. When you get to chapters 12 through 14, you get, of course, the purpose of miracles. You get the cessation of miracles. It's a wonderful way of studying God's word benefit number two of expository teaching is that the greatest commentary for the Bible is the Bible itself and oftentimes it's the verse after or the verse right before you're having a problem understanding God's word just look at the context just look and see what God has said number three expository preaching is God-centered what I mean by that is this we're not going into class with some preconceived idea we think well I want to preach what I believe on this topic if we are doing it verse by verse we have God's word on the matter it's not man-centered it's not teacher centered it is God-centered number four You'll never run out of material. Isn't that a blessing? I remember early on, my first class, my first adult class that I ever taught was in Upton, not too far from here. Drew, my, my roommate at the time, was doing the preaching there that day. And I, I was teaching the Bible class. And I was terrified, terrified that I would run out of material. You ever been there? And early on, that's what, that's what we're worried about. Oh, But you know what? When you do expository teaching, you go to the next verse, and the next verse, and the next verse. See, what we've got to have when we are teaching, this is so important to great Bible classes, is we've got to have a proper understanding of the entire book that we are studying, the theme, the doctrines, what the Holy Spirit wants us to get out of the text before we even start with chapter 1. We need to know what the last chapter says too. And so what are we doing? We're never going to run out of material to where we go from that place where we're thinking, how am I going to fill a 40-minute class to eventually it's going to be a situation where that deacon that, that pushes that buzzer is going to be your worst enemy. You're going to think, what are you doing, man? I just got started with this. Number five. Expository teaching is so good because it's going to provide true biblical literacy to the congregation. It's going to get them in the Word. It's going to get them in the Scriptures. It's going to show them and teach them how to study God's amazing Word. Number six. Expository teaching is a natural means of of bringing balance into the classroom. We're going to talk more about balance here in just a little bit, but there's no redundancy in expository teaching. And if the Bible repeats itself, it's because the Lord intended to repeat himself. Be mindful of your study aids. In your preparation, we've got to be careful and what we're studying, number one, of course, it's got to be the Bible. That, that's got to be the bulk. So the problem with some teachers is that's not the bulk of their study material. It's not the Word of God. It's not inspired. I'm not about to get up here and, and say that it is wrong to use the works of denominational preachers in your studies. I don't believe that it is. And again, I would be a hypocrite to say it was. My library is filled with books that have been written by men who are not New Testament Christians, but let me offer this warning, especially, especially to preacher students: be careful, be extremely cautious in your study of these materials. I have known many that have been turned aside by fables, and two fables because of the books they have chosen to read and believe. Read. I think you need preachers, Christians. Read and read often. It's a wonderful way to improve yourself. But I want us to consider this. We go to these individuals to try to figure out what Romans chapter 8 is teaching us. We go to them to try to figure out meat, right? And yet, these denominational speakers and writers, preachers, they they don't even understand the milk of the word. You want to know what Romans chapter 8 and verse 19 says? You go to them, but then at the same time, you have to understand they don't understand the term he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. There's a fallacy. There is a, a false belief that our own brethren in their writings in their books and in their commentaries don't get deep enough. I had a a brother in Christ that has, I believe, left the truth. And he said that to me one time. We were polishing the pulpit and he said, you know what, I just don't don't get anything here. I just don't get anything out of these lessons. He said, they're too too simple. I got to disagree with you, I told him. He said, the the brotherhood books are, are the very same. You know, when we read the works of Brother Warren Brother Camp they go pretty deep as deep as you can go and this misunderstanding that we have to go to individuals who don't even understand the gospel plan of salvation, please don't misunderstand me especially when it comes to the historical information that is in these works I think it's great and I'm not telling you not to read them I'll say this I'll go and I'll, I'll try to figure out. I'll see what Brother Franklin Camp believes before I see what N.T. Wright believes. I'm going to see what R.L. Whiteside believes more than I see what R.C. Sproul believes. Trust your brethren in your study aids. Be careful. We are, as a people, oftentimes addicted to rhetoric. Now, rhetoric in and of itself is not a, a bad thing when it's used for good. You think of some of your favorite Bible class teachers. They've employed rhetoric in getting the Word of God into your hearts. Some people just have a great way of teaching. but then rhetoric can be used for evil. And I can remember... Starting out in preaching, reading some of these works and thinking, well, I've I've never heard it put that way. That's amazing. I've never heard that. Here I spent two years in Bible study at the feet of men who knew the Word of God and then I'd get out and say, well, well, I never heard this in preaching school. There's a reason why I didn't hear it. It wasn't right. Be careful with your study aids and your preparation. Jude refers to these individuals, I believe, as clouds without water. They offer these... Great swelling words, these empty promises. That's what clouds without water are. You look and you say, there's a cloud coming. We must get some rain. And then it passes. It's an empty promise. Ephesians 4 and verse 14. Don't be children. Don't act like children being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So read, study, but please have the wisdom to spit out the bones. I know this. You can't go wrong with the Bible and a legal pad. You want to have a great Bible class, you can do that with just your Bible and a legal pad. You can get a legal pad, a whole pack of them, 12 of them for $13 at Walmart. Doesn't have to be anything fancy to be a great Bible class teacher. Some, I believe, act like the Athenians of old. Acts chapter 17 there, they they wanted to hear what Paul said because it was something new. We're attracted to the new, to the shiny. We think new is improved. Now, there will be times in which we hear something we've never heard before, and it's right. Paul heard something right for the first time in Acts chapter 9, the jailer in Acts chapter 16. But brethren, be weary of these new doctrines. Stick to the old paths and bring that out in your class. Brethren, we've got to present a complete picture of God. Brother Mike was talking about the balance that we have. When I was a child, there was a television show called Today's Special about a mannequin that came to life in a department store. and Every episode had a had a picture that it would show, just just a little clip. And it would just show you a small part of this picture and have you guess what the rest of the picture was. Some of our teaching in the brotherhood is just showing that little picture. But as Brother Mike pointed out, we have to present the whole counsel of God, a complete picture of God. It's fun to talk about John 3 and verse 16 and the wonderful love that God has for us. And we need to talk about it often. But we also need to bring out all of the attributes of God when we teach the gospel. His jealousy, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5. His vengeance. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and following. We need to preach that there are some things that God hates. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination. Proud look, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. We've got to give the congregation a complete, valid picture of our creator. Romans 11 and verse 22, therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity but towards you goodness if you continue in his goodness otherwise you also will be cut off. We just got done with a study of Acts chapter 20 verse 20 there says how I kept back nothing that was profitable for you. That is the very attitude that we've got to have in our teaching, brothers. If it's profitable for the brethren, we've got to bring it out. There's so much emphasis, so much swing of the pendulum. As Brother Mike pointed out, we've got those brethren that swing to one side and always want to bring out and only want to bring out the positive attributes of God. And then there are those brethren that swing to the opposite side and only want to bring out the negative. That's not balanced teaching. And our congregations are going to suffer spiritually if we're determined to act that way. Don't forget the application. This is where the rubber meets the road, as they say. This is where a preacher or a Bible class teacher goes from, as they say, preaching to meddling, right? Is when you teach application. But that's really our job. As Bible class teachers, our role is to show Jesus Christ to our students. To show them how to live for him. To show them how to live like him. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. We show them how to think. We show them how to act like Jesus. And we do it by presenting the word of God. How to glorify Jesus. How to live in in an ever-increasing, provocative world. Our brethren are counting on us. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, brethren, it's sad when you present the truth and it's rejected. But at the same time, how glorious it is when you, as a Bible class teacher, and you may never know the good that you are doing, but how glorious it is when you're able to present a simple New Testament truth to someone who says, you know what, I haven't been living right and I need to change. That's where the application comes in. Preaching without application is worthless. How do we live? This is what the word says. What does it mean for me in my life right now? How should I be acting? How should I be living? What should I be stopping that I am currently doing? Give an idea of this, of how we need to constantly be applying the scriptures. We've got here several verses that we could just have application come out. And what I suggest is you look, as you study for your class, you look at the passages with, okay, what does this verse mean for us? What can I teach the brethren that they need to be doing? Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. If you're teaching a class on the book of Ephesians and you go over this, therefore be followers of God as dear children. Imitate God as dear children. What's the application there? There's a lot of application that you could take from the text there in verse 1. One is our attitude, our entire attitude towards our Heavenly Father. He's not our peer. You know, we could be a friend of God, but make no mistake, we are not the peer of God. There is a relationship there. He is our Father. We are His children. There's application right there. What does that mean? I obey him. The term dear children, the word there literally means dearly beloved. What's a dearly beloved child? A child that is taken care of. An obedient child we would think of. And you know, you picture yourself at the grocery store. How many times have we been passing by maybe the cereal aisle and we hear a child just throwing a temper tantrum and we say to ourselves, oh, what a dear child. And well, we don't. What a brat. Mama needs to discipline that child. There's application there. Look at verse 2. Walk in love. Boy, there's there's where we need to apply, right? Love in action. And when you're teaching on love, bring in that application of what it truly means to love. Brother Mike gave a couple of wonderful examples that his elders did. Love is active. Love is helping. Love is serving. And the example that is given here in verse 2 is we love like Jesus Christ. John 13 and verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. Have you ever stopped to wonder why he calls it there a new commandment? Were they not commanded to love in prior dispensations? Of course they were. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? The new part is not love. The new part is the standard of love. It's not love your neighbor as yourself. It's you love like I, Jesus, You love like I love, he says. Application. John chapter 13 is the application of that. What did Jesus do? How did he show his love? He got down the last day of his life. He got down and he washed the feet of his disciples. That's love and application, right? How do you apply verse 3? Verses 3 and verse 5, I believe, go together here. These behaviors, fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Verse 5, for this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. How are you going to teach application of these things in your Bible class? You talk about fornication. You talk about what truly makes us unclean. You talk about what real idolatry is and that it's not simply bowing down to a great big golden statue. A great Bible class is a class that brings application. Verse 4 neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. It's the application. Our speech matters. Verses 6 and 7, what's the application there? Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. See, these are passages that when we're studying, when we're doing Bible classes, it's so easy to just glance over them. But we've got to get into the lives of our students. What does this mean for you? Verses 6 and 7 means... Don't go off with someone that's not your father. The vain and empty promises that are going to be offered by those in the world, those those that are trying to get us to sin, those in the denominational world. You know, we're told as children not to go off with strangers. Don't talk to strangers. Don't take candy from strangers. Why? Because they're empty promises. This is application of the text. Is it the only application? No, I don't believe so. What's great about the Bible is the many facets. You probably, in studying Ephesians chapter 5, are looking through this and saying, you know, I've seen other applications here that I haven't brought out. Use it. Isn't that great about all the facets there in the New Testament? Go down a little bit to verse 11, verses 11 and 12. There's application here have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. What's the application? Choose your friends wisely. What does this mean for us? Don't be afraid to get into the issues, brothers, when we're teaching and say, look, What does it mean to not have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness? What does that mean with our relationship to the denominational world? What does it mean with our relationship to sin? How are we going to live our lives? Verse 18, be not drunk with wine. You see, when you, again, expository teaching, when a congregation has a need, maybe it's been a while since you've talked about social drinking, and you say, I need to do it right here. Bring in the application, the word Methusco there. Explain it. Get into the text. What does that mean for me as a child of God? Can I please him and imbibe in beverage alcohol? Again, that's why I said the application part in our teaching, in our Bible classes, is where the rubber meets the road. It's where we're going to lose souls and it's where we're going to gain souls. But we've got to teach it. Verse 19, the application, of course, in our worship, in our singing. The application in marriage there at the end of the chapter. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What does that mean? As Mike pointed out, a Christ-centered marriage, a Christ-centered family. What does it truly mean to be willing to die for your wife? Are you willing to live for her? These are the applications that we need to be bringing out in the text. Bible class teaching is more than just reading out loud to our brethren. Scripture reading is a great thing, and we have it maybe before a sermon. It, it's a great thing. But we've got to be willing to teach and not just read. We've got to go in this prayerfully. We've got to go into it humbly. Got to go into it with the right sources, but we've got to go into it. Let me give some encouragement here as I wrap things up. You may not be currently teaching a class, maybe you've considered that that's just not your talent. That's amazing. And I understand there's a difference between private and public teaching, and I know that there are some people who are just more geared towards public speaking, and that's okay. But don't sell yourself short. God can take you gentlemen and do great things if you're willing to step out on faith, if you're willing to put in the legwork, the study of God's word, and present that to others. Oh, the Bible says you've got some beautiful feet if you're willing to do that. Brethren, have the courage, have the strength, Have the love for souls. Ultimately, that's how we're going to have great Bible classes, is we've got to love souls. We've got to love our brethren. We've got to love the lost. A congregation that doesn't put any thought into their Bible class, into the curriculum, into the books that they're studying, It's going to be a congregation that it's going to suffer. But elders, if you put in the time, I'm thankful to be part of a congregation where my elders sit down with me and what's your plan for 2021? What are we going to teach? What books are we going to go over? What themes are we going to discuss? Plan, study, work, and you can truly have great Bible classes. Thank you very much.